All right, folks, welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. This is Manuel Wrestling, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And this passing period, um, for those of you who might be new to our show or to our podcast, um, these passing periods we drop in between full episodes of All the Above. And these passing periods do not go up on YouTube. They are strictly for the podcast portion of our audience. And they give us a chance to talk about some news and talk about some things that maybe didn't make it into our last full episode. And um, Jeff, man, what's, what's, what's the deal, man? What's going on? Well, man, well, it's, it's been a big week, man. I have to say, like, this, this period of history, I think we're going to look back on, uh, and, and it will be studied for, for some time, but um, on top of the protests in the streets, on top of the cops continuing to kill people for no good reason whatsoever, on top of every white person and their mom learning about Juneteenth and, uh, you know, buying a copy of... E- well, thanks to the president Ibram- making that, that a famous holiday. You know, you could thank the president for that. He, he made it famous. Well, yes, a- along with Frederick Douglass, who's becoming more and more known uh, these days, of course, as, as you're well aware. Um, Indeed. But, uh, you know, in, in the midst of everybody going through all of that, right, um, we also had the Supreme Court, the good old... Gorsuch Kavanaugh Supreme Court coming through with two decisions that uh, that I think many people were surprised by because they're actually not evil. Uh, well, they you know <laughs> they they don't go out of their way to harm people and especially marginalized groups in society, uh, which is which is surprising and and I think we have to acknowledge it's some some good news. So we had two big decisions uh, just this past week handed down. Uh, one dealing with the issue of DACA and the status of the DACA program and people's, uh, people who have DACA status uh, being able to stay and, and remain legally in the country. And another um, addressing the issue of employment discrimination and the, uh, the protected status or lack thereof of uh, LGBTQ folks. So um, Good news on both of those fronts, man. Well, like I, I didn't see it coming, and uh, but it's here. We got it, and let's talk about it because these both have uh, certainly implications in in our field. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, it it was sort of surprising. I think everybody um, is a bit surprised by both of these rulings. And like to your point, like I guess the good news is that the rulings weren't evil. And at this point. <laughs> Given all that's going on, like I guess in some cases that's that's the best you could hope for is just for something just to not be outright evil. Um, and in this case, like you know, so starting with the DACA decision, um, Jeff, I don't know if you are aware, but next week we are going to drop our fiftieth full episode of All of the Above, fiftieth, and in the second episode, so whatever forty nine episodes ago. Um, we had a, we used to do a segment that we called um, we had a show and tell segment we had a assessment segment and those were t- uh, moments for each of us individually to uh, to present a, a viewpoint on a particular topic and in that second ep- episode um, I spoke a bit about DACA and yeah. Um, yeah, you this did. was in the wake <laughs> of the 2016 election and a survey of teachers that was conducted by EdWeek found that, um, at least at that time, 71% of educators supported 
DACA. So in that second episode, I I talk I spoke about how that 71% is too low of a number. Like how can you have, you know, almost a third of educators out there iffy or against something like like DACA. So I, I spoke about it way back when and I, you know, I'm just so happy to see that DACA is is still here. It's not, you know, the ruling wasn't in favor of, I mean, the ruling wasn't something that basically, you know, cements the status of um, a DACA as a program. Instead, you know, they they kicked it back to to Trump and 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 basically on the technicality, um, he's going to have to whatever resubmit what or whatever he's going to have to uh, try again to to end it if he wants to end it. So it's not that the you know the the situation is is settled, but you know for now those those DACA recipients can can breathe a little bit easier at least for the time being, and and talking about teachers, you know, it's it's crazy to me that you would have any teachers out there who are against something like DACA, like against this idea of folks who grew up in the U.S. and um, have done everything right and have worked hard. Like, why why would you want these now adults to um, to be sent back to a country that they don't even um, necessarily know? And on the other hand, not on the other hand, but in addition to that, um, you know, it's got me thinking about how many educators we have now who are DACA recipients themselves. So according to the website, The 74, we're looking at about 20,000, 20,000 educators who are um, protected by Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And man, that's that's 20,000 educators that were able to, to breathe a little bit easier this week, seeing that the court, at least for the time being, has kept DACA in place, which is just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, it is. It is phenomenal. It's, you know, I think for a lot of the folks who have been just waiting precariously, right? Like, I don't know if people who are not in areas of the country where this is, where there's large numbers of, of DACA recipients or, uh, or maybe folks who are just aren't, aren't connected to that, to, to that community, right? Um, I don't know if you if folks are really appreciating what was at stake, right? Like if you can imagine your ability to exist in this country, in the country that you have for all intents and purposes only ever really known as your home, where you've gone to school, where you have a community, where you work, where you have gone to college and graduate school and et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, I mean, we have doctors, you know, and lawyers and teachers and people with multiple college degrees, soldiers in the military, who are DACA yeah. recipients, right? And uh, and what the Republicans are attempting to do is tear their freedom away, right? And then deport them to a country they don't know. And in many cases, countries where they left because of violence that is still would still be a threat to their right. very survival in some cases, right? So th- this is, you know... This was the only sensible decision the court could have made, frankly, and, and I'm glad they did determine that Trump's attempt to end DACA was arbitrary and capricious is like the, the legal language, uh, which basically means it was like evil. It just mean spirited. Right. And not d- not <laughs> done yeah. with any like compelling public interest in mind or in a way that offered any type of like due process or thoughtful rollout. Right. So but right. it leaves DACA recipients in a better place, in a more in a more okay place but still we need a we need real legislation on this right is the is the answer yeah. and for all of the young people in our schools now who could still be applying for 
you know, for DACA status. This gives some some reassurance and comfort that I'm I'm glad, especially in this time of pandemic, that they they hopefully can feel now. Yeah, for sure. So that was one case that came back um, not evil to your <laughs> to your um, point. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then there was the other case, which was I think. I don't know if it was more so. I think they're probably both equally surprising, at least to me. But yeah, um, LGBTQ workplace protections and um, your your sexual identity and sexual orientation um, included as a protected class. I think that was another ruling that was just like really surprising to folks, given the state of affairs and the state of our nation right now to see this, which is which is super dope. Jeff, remind remind me, didn't we have a story about a teacher? I think it was in Texas who had been fired based on her same-sex marriage. We sure did. Yeah, we sure did. So this was uh, this was several months ago. It was episode twelve of this season, and uh, we did a, a story in our do now about a teacher named Stacy Bailey, who um, was a teacher in the Mansfield Independent School District, which I believe is is like outside of the Dallas Fort Worth uh, area. Um, who was, you know, she was not fired. She was placed on administrative leave, but, you know, she was kind of being pushed out, shall we say, um, of her school, which was an elementary school. And, you know, I I think the messaging was very clear that she was unwelcome, really because she had shared, like, the most benign set of photographs. Uh, It might have even only been one photograph, now that I think about it. I think it it was one photograph um, in her, I thought it was in her classroom or or something. Yeah, like, it showed it it to her students. I thought it was was shown as, like, part of a slideshow or something, um, where she was showing her family, right? (laughs) And showing her partner, and they were dressed in, like, Finding Nemo costumes, okay? So, (laughs) So this is... No matter who you're standing next to, if you're dressed in Finding Nemo costumes, it looks pretty harmless, right? Right, right. Like, so, um, so you know, very clearly she was being discriminated against because of her of her sexuality, and um, you know, and at that time we very much still lived in a country where that was that was allowed, depending upon the state and jurisdiction in which you in which you live. We also had on uh, a few episodes later um, this season, uh, Aaron Whalen. Um, who is a is an administrator of a school here in Los Angeles, uh, and we were talking about, you know, how our schools do and do not serve um, the needs of our LGBTQ students. He mentioned, you know, the the realities, right, of educators uh, who are afraid to come out, and in and, and maybe in general, in some cases, right, but also in certain states in the country. Like he was formerly a teacher in Florida, and it talked about like the real choice and anxiety that that you are faced with of like can I be who I am in front of my students if it means I would I potentially could be fired for it right um, and thankfully here in California you know um, your sexuality has been a protected class on that front but in in a bunch of states around the union that wasn't the case and the court effectively expanded uh, you know the the rights of LGBTQ folks into the the protected classes that are um, protected under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And so that's a good thing, uh, fundamentally good thing. It still means that, you know, it doesn't mean like everything is great right away. Why can't but everything it means just be if, great, Jeff, just for once? <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, we're working on it, man. We're trying to find that perfect piece of legislation. Uh, but, I, you know, what it does mean is if you're in one of those places or anywhere in the country and you are fired for because of your sexuality, you now have the ability to sue and get, you know, and get resource as a member of, of a protected class. So it's a good thing. You know, it's not going to solve all of our problems right away. But like, hey, it's rare that the Supreme Court is making the world a better place at this point. And so we got to take small victories where we can get them. No, absolutely. And, you know, to all the educators out there, all all of our LGBTQ plus educators out there, you know, I think it really depends on, you know, the context, because I think depending on the school site, depending on the community, depending on the administration, I think, you know, despite whatever the Supreme Court might have said, I think there's still um, plenty of of folks given their actual teaching placement or or circumstance um, who, who might still be really worried about folks finding out about their um, sexuality. Um, but it, it, I mean, it is nice, just like similar similar to the DACA decision, it is nice at least to know that, um, you know, this was was a step towards, towards being protected and towards being included in hopefully what will one day be a super inclusive, decolonized, united, actually great America. Um, one day, man, that's, um, that sounds that sounds like some radical communist stuff, there, man. Well, yeah. you should. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, probably, it ain't gonna happen in my lifetime. Go but. go back to your country with all that talk. Man. <laughs> um, so yeah, so those are two rulings that I think surprise a lot of folks, and there's educators out there for sure um, whose um, livelihood really um, depended in, in large part to what what the court might say on these uh, two matters, and of course you. Um, have educators for whom both matters were of personal um, importance as well. So, so yeah, that's great seeing seeing all that happen, Jeff. So, I guess that means we're all good to go, right? Everything's smooth. We're ready to um, enjoy a nice, calm summer break and get into a um, nice, uh, quote unquote, normal um, school year this fall. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, President just had a Juneteenth rally. Um, everyone agrees, Black Lives Matter. Um, Gay people can't be fired, and uh, you know, uh, undocumented folks don't have to leave. So, problem solved. This is the final episode of All the Above. Cool. I am <laughs> we glad we are able about. to have a, yeah, well. a series finale where everything has been <laughs> That's resolved. That's right. Don't you hate it when <laughs> a show arrived. finishes and it's like all these un- unanswered questions? But not here, folks. Everything's been yeah, good. We're, we're like, great. okay, Utopia, show done. Uh, no, man. Well, we, we of course have uh, plenty more to talk about because um, one thing that has not been solved uh, by any measure that's getting worse, even though we seem to be doing less about it, is the coronavirus, uh, which, you know, although it has declining in places like New York City, is flourishing wildly in many parts of the country, in particular in the South um, and in the Southwest. Uh, and this is some, some scary stuff because at, at the same time as that's happening, we are now in the very squarely in the phase of like schools over almost everywhere across the country at this point. And we have all the work of what are we going to do when we reopen in the fall, uh, you know, being worked on right now. And uh, we have states and, you know, public health agencies putting out relatively clear guidance documents to shape uh, 
education policy on this. So um, there's a lot to, to think about there, man. Well, what are you what are you thinking? So like I said in our special for Larry Ferlazzo's classroom Q&A, where the question was, what, what should school look like in the fall? Uh, we're going to be distance learning. I don't care what anybody says. So, you know, Texas this week, the governor came out basically saying like, back to school, you know, schools will reopen in the fall, no need for masks or social distancing, we're just charging right ahead. And of course, the teacher um, unions and associations have basically said like, nah, we're actually not going to do that. But in any case, like, Texas, despite the fact that their numbers are rising, their governor's talking about like, well, we'll go back to school. A lot of um, states have issued guidelines for what school reopenings should look like. And the guidelines are just, in my opinion, completely ridiculous in terms of how you can make that actual an actual reality. So in terms of the uh, physical distancing, uh, making sure students are only walking in one direction in different hallways, making sure that um, everyone's got masks and, you know, health checks in the morning, all that stuff. Like, it's just, I don't, I think it's a, a logistical nightmare. I mean, I think everybody agrees it's a logistical nightmare, but I think it's one that is is going to make it to where no matter what anybody is is claiming they're going to do, at the end of the day, we're going to be distance learning because that's the only way I think to ensure that you don't have an outbreak caused by folks gathering in in a school and in a school site. So you know, with all respect to folks, all the districts, all the um, teacher leaders, and folks out there saying that you know hybrid models, we could do that, we could do this, whatever. Um, yeah, none of that's going to work out because we just simply do not have the resource. Just like I said in that Ed Week special, like we don't have. Education does not have the the resource needed to do something that will be um, in line with all these guidelines and get that done in what we got. I mean, it's the end of June already. And a lot of districts, I know my district, we open up in August. So like we've got five, six weeks left to figure this all out. Like that's just not going to happen. Yeah. So I want, I want you to pay careful attention to what I'm about to do here, Manuel, because that is that's that's a very reasonable uh uh well-informed opinion you're wrong but it's a really reasonable well-informed opinion see how see how i did what you did yeah with me i mean that's that, what uh, yeah i i that episode I with larry okay. uh yeah 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 um so 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 i wish that you were right i honestly wish you were right i i am even more convinced than i was when we recorded that um to go up on, on Larry's blog. Uh, I'm even more convinced now than I was then that we are definitely gonna reopen with some kind of hybrid model. How's and, that gonna work, Jeff? Um, make it make sense So to here's me. here's how it's gonna work, man. And this is a very, um, my skepticism is gonna be fully revealed here. And, I, and I will, I'm gonna bet you $20 right now that this is how it goes down. So here's what's gonna happen. The manuals, the, 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 uh, procedures, the requirements, the regulations are being put out. And what's hap what is about to happen in education is exactly the kind of things that happen with corporate regulation all the time. So when you hear industry say things like, we followed FCC guidelines, you know, we followed FDA guidelines, that is a risk management legal strategy. That's not, that has nothing to do with that is totally devoid from the issue of whether or not what's taking place you know what's present in your pork at the grocery store or how much radiation is coming out of your cell phone or whatever mm -hmm. right has no relationship to actual public health 
the industries <laughs> have captured the regulatory mechanism and they use the regulatory mechanism to provide cover from, from litigation, right? And that, that's effectively what, we're, what we are in, a, in perhaps a more benign, like less overtly corrupt way because right. there is no, you know, it's not like families who want their kids to go back to school are paying off politicians, right? right. But what's happening is the political context is changing around the politicians who make these decisions. It's changing because the people who fund them, who pay for their campaigns, are saying we need the economy moving so we can make more profit. And frankly, in a context where the government is providing so little support for small businesses and so little direct support to families, right, and where unemployment benefits are going to expire, you are going to have then people, the masses of people saying, hey, man, look, like the if the choice is starve or lose my house or risk going back to work in school, we're going to risk going back to work in school, right? Because the reality is like still most people aren't going to die from coronavirus, right? So that's the situation people are being forced into. Right. And what's going to happen along the way is districts are going to say, we follow the, the state CDE guidelines. We did, you know, like here's, we checked off all the boxes, right? Right. Here's what we did. And because in those guidelines are also like enough little outs where it's like, oh, to the extent feasible, do this, right? Or to the extent possible, do this. Because some of those guidelines are just impossible in certain contexts, right? Um, and so we're going to see this really unfortunate confluence of no political will to do what's right from a public health standpoint, which would be not resume school for almost anyone, right? Right. And then um, the, the, you know, the political pressure to get people back to work and, fo and force people back to work, right, by taking away their ability to not work. And so that's what we're going to see, man. So, and that's going to involve, they can't put all the kids back in the school together because there will be too big of a spike too quickly for that to be sustainable. So we'll do something where we have half the kids or a third of the kids or a quarter of the kids and rotate them through, right? And that's what we're going to see. And, and that also, I mean, frankly, like, I think we all miss in-person learning. We recognize sure. that distance learning just, just is not good enough. It's not, it's, it is inferior to in-person learning in most ways. And so this is what we're going to do, man. This no. is what I see happening. And we're going to see a big spike at some point in many parts of the country as a result of this. So, yeah. So, I mean, I will take you up on that $20 bet. I do not want, when okay. you lose this bet, I don't want your $20 to come out of our um, $0 AOTA budget. I want it to be your <laughs> personal $20. And I have no doubt that everything you're saying currently is the way of thinking for district leaders. And I'm sure, you, I, I'm, I'm positive, you have been part of more conversations around this than I have. Um, however, the numbers currently, like this is, we're recording this end of June, and the numbers already are are hitting new record highs in so many states that I think the situation is getting worse faster than people even thought or realized. So while Texas right now, maybe the governor is saying like, oh, we'll reopen, we'll be fine. You know, come two, three weeks when the numbers in Texas get way above and beyond what anybody thought or anticipated, like that's gonna have to change. And and as far as the hybrid models go, if I'm a, if I'm a parent and 
there are certain days or certain parts of the day where my child is in school and then the rest of the time he's he's back at home. Well, I'm still challenged with like who the hell is going to watch my child if I'm going to work. So like the fact that the child isn't going to be in school all day, every day, like, you know, quote unquote, normal times already like that, that dynamic is already all messed up. So then if I still have to figure out how to, um, you know, who's going to watch my kid during the day and there's only like this small window where the kid goes to school, then why even bother sending him to the schoolhouse for that small window if he's spending a majority of the, the week or the majority of the day at home anyways? Like why even risk exposing him to whatever other kids and teachers might have at school if he's already, you know, doing so much of his learning at home anyways, might as well just make it all the way at home. So I, I think all these guidelines, all these, everything that's being published, everything that's being rolled out, I think, you know, everyone has their the best intentions of trying to do the best to make sure kids get the education that they um, deserve. And I, as a teacher, for sure, want to be in the classroom with my students. I just don't, I can't wrap my head around how logistically this is going to actually work. And I think everybody is planning for the best, just like the NBA is, has their plans together. The NFL has their plans. Major League yeah, Baseball, if they could work out an agreement, they'll have their plans. That's a great analogy, though, Manuel. Say what? That's a great analogy. So so here's, so I want to believe you, but here's the deal. I think you're underestimating the will of our capitalist system to produce profit, right? So what is the NBA talking about right now? They're really literally talking about maybe we take all the players and we quarantine them at like Disneyland or whatever. Right. And, and every day and, a new hiccup comes out about that. And then we just play that. our season at Disneyland, right? Like this is the kind of insanity that, that we are seeing, the lengths to which those who are in position, you know, the capitalists are in position to make money. There are no limits, man. There but are no limits. That's, that's so, my point. Like their plan is falling apart day by day. More players are coming out saying they don't like this. They don't like that. We saw the UCLA football team yesterday say they don't want to continue practice or training until they have an independent uh, health expert come out because they don't trust their coach has their best interest in mind. We saw the Philadelphia yeah. Phillies yesterday have a whole bunch of their players test positive. So they closed down whatever facility they were working out in so like to your point with all that motivation all that money ma making motivation and they still can't get it right every day something goes differently than they expected hell schools are such a large like the the endeavor is so much bigger for school systems that like if a if a succinct relatively tiny compared to school systems league can't get it right because the situation is evolving so quickly, I don't know how entire districts will. And if I were a parent, if I had any possibility of working from home, then my kid is staying with me because I don't trust my kid going to school when I see these people on TV running around with no masks, talking about you know their rights and liberation. That like people aren't even falling. Nah, I'm not risking my health for it. So I'm telling you, man. Well. It, it, Twenty it bucks. Is, Have it ready. Twenty bucks. It is. It is obviously a much bigger logistical challenge to figure out how to run, you know, LA Unified School District than it is to figure out how to get a few hundred NBA players. You can't send LAUSD to Disneyland, that. man. But but the amount of profit that relies upon LAUSD functioning is orders of magnitude larger than yeah, the you're right profit about that. that the NBA makes, right? So the, the political environment that man, that is pushing for this to be the outcome, get the kids back to school so that the parents can work, 
right, right. is astronomical. And we see we see Democrats and Republicans behaving similarly, right? Stopping the push on, you know, the daily press conferences have stopped. The, you know, we're reopening strategically kind of stuff is going on, even though, you know, it was, it, it, even though we're not meeting the, <laughs> the terms of, of what was supposed to be reopening conditions, right? So, I, you know, we'll see, man. $20 on the line. Yeah. We got to put a couple of little asterisks on there because my, my bet is that we're going to reopen in this hybrid model. And then eventually it's going to get bad enough where we're going to have to go back right. to, to a, a virtual model. So I'm not saying we're never going to have virtual. And in fact, in the hybrid model, most of school is probably still going to be virtual for most kids, right? I mean, even if you split the kids in half, we're still talking about best case scenario, half of your school is virtual, right? Right. Um, but they're getting some kids back in the school, man. That's all right. We <laughs> that's shall what see. I see coming, man. The way these and, numbers and, are looking, man. I don't know. We shall see. And we're gonna work as hard as possible to make it as safe as possible, man. That's what's going down. All right. Yep. Um so to be determined on that front. And um before we get out of here, obviously the other like really major development, ongoing development is of course um the uprising across the nation in response to police killings of of black folks and uh the last passing period or maybe two passing periods ago i don't know i'm my brain's all mixed up because of summer break and my calendar doesn't doesn't function the same during the summer but um we we discussed how different companies and school districts have been putting out these statements these um press releases basically about their support for um, black lives but they've been doing it without really saying much about black lives and about white racism um targeted against um black folks so um you know we we talked about how bland a lot of these statements were a lot of statements aren't using the word white at all so they're not addressing white supremacy for sure and they're not really talking about the root of uh, anti-black racism um some are going so far as to say black lives matter but a lot haven't done that and a lot of just framing it in vague terms of injustice and stuff like that so um i mentioned on that on that episode that my district is one that did initially release a statement that said all the right things without really saying much specifically it didn't really target necessarily um anti-black racism um i think their statement talked about the declaration of independence and stuff like vague stuff that everyone could agree with but that doesn't really say anything specifically. So I just wanted to give a little little update because I checked my work email yesterday and saw that there was a resolution that was adopted by our school board a few nights ago. And to me, it's, it's pretty dope. And I just want to give credit to um, my district and to the, um, the um, board of my district for this statement. I want to just read out a few pieces of it. So it's titled, um, Pasadena Unified School District's commitment to black students. And in it, it has, it starts with several statements. So for example, it says, um, quote, whereas black students represent 11.1% of PUSD's student population, but continue to be disproportionately overrepresented in disciplinary and special education measures and underrepresented in advanced placement honors and gifted and talented programming. Um, so for example, that statement right there, like they're pointing out specific areas where 
um, black students in particular are um, not not being met with the right amount of supports in our district. Like specifically, instead of just saying like, oh, all, all kids deserve a good education and we're committed to making sure that every student feels valued, like they're pointing out specifically evidence that like, okay, we're not doing a good job with our black students. We're not doing a good job with them in regards to discipline, in regards to special ed, in regards to advanced placement representation. Later on in the resolution, they say, quote, whereas proclaiming black lives matter neither diminishes nor devalues the fact that other children's lives matter in PUSD. Rather, the statement is a devotion to directly confronting issues that hinder black excellence in achievement. And I just thought that was dope because, of course, they declared black lives matter, but they also pointed out, you know, as a district that has a, a great many students from from. Um, other backgrounds. So the school I teach at is almost exclusively Black and Latinx, um, almost exclusively like 95% Black and Latinx. Um, but the district has, you know, plenty of students who are uh, who are white, who are um, Asian, Asian Pacific Islander, a lot of students who are Armenian, various um, other backgrounds. But, you know, to include in the statement like, yo, Black Lives Matter, and we're not diminishing the value of other lives, we're just pointing out that um, issues there are specific issues that hinder black excellence and achievement in our in our district. And they go on to resolve that um, the school district will wholeheartedly declare that black students and their families matter and commitment to eradicating any practices and curriculum that have biased, discriminatory, racist, or suppressive impact on black students. So it goes on and on. So in any case, I just want to shout out the district for putting together a resolution that, of course, it's just words on paper. So it all depends on how it's you know, rolled out in actuality and what happens in actuality. But um, I just want to give them props for not half-stepping on this and not just like using vague terms like other districts have used about what's going on in our nation in this moment. And um, additionally, like the resolution points out the measure. So I said on that passing period episode, you know, whenever districts are giving out these statements or whatever, like, is there anything in there that you could point to and come back to in, in two, three months and say, okay, what have you done about that? In this resolution, like they're pointing out a few measures like, um, you know, representation in AP classes and honors classes and in gate programs, um, disciplinary measures. They're giving a little bit of a path forward in terms of how to hold the district accountable, like what to look for, you know, as the school year progresses, as next school year progresses um, regarding black students and black excellence in the district. So shout out to them. Um, for doing that. I just want to give them their props since I, a few episodes ago, said that their statement said a whole lot of nothing. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, you know, it's, I think it's great. Um, you, when you shared that statement with me, I was, uh, I was happy to see it. I think it's a move in the right direction. I think I responded to you something like, it's great, but the devil's in the details, right? And it's all in implementation. And so it, it is a better world that we have districts like yours making that kind of commitment than then we then not right and what will make that come to life is actual policy and practice in action and so um so that stuff isn't going to happen instantaneously it's going to take time this is going to be a messy process i get all that and the fact that people are in the streets is what creates space for this to happen. And so I think we need to sustain the push because it's real easy for folks to get comfortable uh, on combating white supremacy and to stop doing the work. And so uh, hopefully what this means is that the, the will and the, and the uh, 
you know, the effort is there in Pasadena, as, as in many other districts across California and across the country. But we're going to have to keep pushing to yeah. make sure that, that the follow through happens. It's not going to happen on its own. No, abs yeah, absolutely. You are, you are correct on that front. And I also want to point out that um, this past Juneteenth, um, we, I was thumbing through the, the TV stations and I noticed that Black Panther was playing simultaneously on two different channels and another channel had a <laughs> marathon of Blackish. And Jeff, if that is not a measure of, of progress, of us making it, of us realizing the dreams of our ancestors, then I don't know what is because you could watch Black Panther and have Black Panther in picture in picture and switch over to Blackish during the commercials um, if you wanted to. And um, yeah, I, I think we're good. I think we've solved racism. This is this is the promised land. This is the well, promised land. <laughs> Frederick Douglass, he was writing about this. Oh man, yes. I think that's what. Yeah, that's what uh, Fannie Lou Hamer envisioned when she said, oh, yeah. you know, if uh, if everybody's free we ain't all you know until everybody's free we're not free i'm messing up the quote now but you no, know we free man I'm we good with man Fanny. and uh apparently freedom is being able to watch black people on television in many different forms so we have arrived yeah i've been to the mountaintop and and we got there together yes indeed all right folks that's yes. it for this week's passing period again if you're new to our show passing periods are um, podcast extras that we drop in between our full episodes. Our full episodes are video programs. Of course, we put up the audio for the podcast listeners too. But um, in any case, our next full episode will be coming at you in about a week. And it is our 50th full episode. And it's super dope. We brought back three of our favorite guests. And we are going to have some discussions about really this moment in time and um, what we need to be mindful of as we march forward into a new school year. So definitely look for that. If you missed last week's full episode with Dr. Mary Helen Imordino Yang, definitely check that out. She spoke about the neuroscience of learning and um, super, super dope. We nerded out on that episode. So check it out. Everything is available. AOTAshow.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash all of the above. All right, so that's it for this week. And we need y'all to go ahead and um, get to class. <laughs>